Hey guys, before we start the episode, I'd like to thank our March Patreon supporters. So we have a new supporter, Amber McKissick, and we have someone increasing their pledge, Jules. Thank you so much. As well as just to let you guys know, for the month of March, I have suspended payments for Patreon. So if you're already a member, don't worry. That way we can give everyone some time to figure out what our new normal is because coronavirus has basically almost shut down parts of the United States, especially where I am in Ohio. A lot of businesses have temporarily closed. And so I now got a lot of time to do this. (laughs) But back to our regularly scheduled programming. Welcome back, Collective. This week, we're here with Kevin of Mirths and the Monsters. (laughs) <laughs> hello <laughs> mirths and the monsters and the monsters yes all the mirths all the monsters do you want to tell everyone what your podcast is about yeah mirths and monsters uh first of all important bit kid friendly this one <laughs> so me my dog finn and three of my cats one of which wants to take over the world two of which are my bodyguards or hench cats and basically, we go behind and investigate the real cryptids, the real stories. Been at a Bigfoot barbecue. I've interviewed the head of the unicorns, who sounds suspiciously like, suspiciously like a bad impression of Roger Moore. <laughs> and um, yeah, been to Loch Ness a couple of times with Nessie. Yeah, and we do that kind of thing. Um, and it's a lot of fun. It's quirky. It's got a lot of bad jokes. And it's fun to listen or put you to sleep. It's a lot of good jokes. I don't know what you're talking about. I enjoy all well, of them. Well, <laughs> yeah, as good as some jokes are better than others. It's like an animal farm thing. Four legs good, two legs better. But yeah, and then there's the other podcast, which is not for kids, and that's uh, Infernal Souls and Eternal Arseholes, which uh, I still love the title of. I'm happy with that. But it's set in Alcatraz. It's just new and at the moment really bloody sporadic. Three episodes in, with a special 12 Days of Christmas killer-themed special edition, I guess it was. <laughs> Five nipple belts. It was my favourite bit. Yeah, so <laughs> I play a dead prisoner ghost inmate who tells... Uh, each episode is about a different former inmate. So I've had Al Capone so far, Robert Stroud, Machine Gun Kelly. But there's also a lot more going on about Charlie's backstory... And there's also a very mysterious lady Ooh. who's going to make him do something that he doesn't know yet. Yeah. So it's a mystery and informational. It's a true crime comedy history audio drama. I like it. You it's hit a, so many boxes. Yeah, it's a his comedy <laughs> <laughs> With lots of swearing. Lots of inventive swearing. I love inventive swearing. It's my favorite. Mm, yeah. If you can't tell, he's Scottish. He so is. In honor of Kevin being Scottish in this, I'm drinking Scottish whiskey, which I just bought today. It's pretty nice. Had some sips. It's a little stronger than I'm used. To, like the flavor is like peatier than I'm used to. So it's a getting getting used to it. But I like it. It's nice. I like that booze is made of mud and it tastes. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, bourbon is just made of like corn and wheat, like corn and stuff. So. 
Bourbon is made of hopes and nightmares, is what bourbon is made of. And burnt barrels. I do barrels. like Jack Daniels. I do like Jack Daniels. Or did like Jack Daniels. Mm-hmm. I don't drink anymore. So. But yeah, so I thought it would, it'd be fitting to do that. And I already yes. had my tea. So it's gone, though. You've already had? Yeah, I had a... I had a it's called elderberry wine tea. And I don't know if I don't like elderberries or I don't like something in there, but it always turns sour when I drink it. So I decided to f- turn the rest of it I had into iced tea and see if that made it better. <laughs> elderberry? No. Wine? No. <laughs> I've never, I've always wanted to, like, ooh, I sip this wine and I get flavors of <laughs> shoes and French people and things <laughs> like that. But no, I drink wine and go, that's fucking vinegar. I don't like it. So yeah, I've never been a wine connoisseur. I'm not particularly. a wine connoisseur. I like to go to Aldi's and buy the Winking Owl brand, which is like $4. By all accounts, Aldi's got a very good wine section. They do. And yeah. then I, my uncle, who is training to be a sommelier a little bit. Ooh, very nice. At Christmas, he had we had two fancy wines. One was like a really fancy French wine. And my sister and I kept making inappropriate French noises at him, you know, like the because <laughs> <laughs> we're assholes. And then one that was like sanctioned by the Vatican. So we proceeded to call it Pope wine and ask what part of the Pope was in it. <laughs> like, which Pope? <laughs> I'm sorry, you can't give something be like, yes, this is Pope, like the Pope's official wine is sanctioned by and not expect us to be like Oh, look at you with your Pope wine. We didn't make the joke everyone would expect when we asked what part of the Pope was in the wine. We are like, <laughs> is it someone's bones? Which Pope is it? Do they dig up the Popes? He he did not like oh, our... That's the obvious joke. Right, okay, I no, that was not the entirely. obvious joke. The obvious <laughs> joke is semen. That was the obvious joke. We oh, ignore... God. <laughs> that's the obvious joke. We did not go with that. And he's like, no, it's just sanctioned by Vatican City. And then we're like, uh-huh, sure. That's why it's Pope wine. <laughs> and then he walked away from us. That seems fair. Yeah, we do it to him every time. He's too pretentious about wines. So we're going to talk about James Urban Rupert now. Yeah. And it's been a minute since I wrote these. So, oh, nope, it's horrible. If I remember, I think he's a family annihilator. This is horrible. I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> I'm gonna... I don't know the name. I don't know this one. I'm curious. He was born March 29th, 1934, and his life was pretty sad and abusive. His mother named Charity would call him a mistake because she wanted a daughter. We're starting off Charming, yeah. His father, Leonard, was violent. He had a quick temper and really didn't take any time to like get to know his sons or be affectionate, so it goes well. He dies, it, his father dies in... 1947 so james is 12 his brother leonard jr jr was 14 and no one really missed him a second someone's yeah so you know (laughs) this is a happy family think of uh leave it to beaver if it was horrible i never yeah that's an american thing the ideal 1950s family you know everything's perfect and the housewife and all that i've seen it used as a joke in films and stuff because yeah. um, the name is just amusing. Oh yeah. Um. So Leonard Jr. then becomes head of the family, and just t- like takes over a picking on his brother, all the time. So as 
James does poorly in school. He doesn't have friends. He's always smaller than his brother. Pretty much made an easy target for his brother to pick on him some more. Yeah. By the time he reached adulthood, he was only five foot six and weighed about 135 pounds. So tiny guy. Yeah. Fuck yeah. him. I mean, that's bad, but yeah, <laughs> it doesn't help with the bullying. No, he's slightly taller than me because I'm five five. And I'm not tall. I, yeah, I'm I, only 5'7 and double his weight. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm a ball compared to him. Just now he's a poor fella. Yeah. Now he's a poor fella, yes. So when he was 16, he was so miserable, he attempted to complete suicide by hanging himself with a sheet. He actually failed, and he's just like, you know what? I'm just going to live my unremarkable life and deal with everything. He okay. gets Yeah. He's growing older, he's still living in house with his mother and brother, and he just gets more and more resentment towards his brother because he's still picking on him and making fun of him. James flunks out of college after two years, and Leonard actually earned a degree in electrical engineering and was really good at sports. So you have, like, the perfect brother who's good at school, good at the sports, the golden child. And James is just probably average, and it's just really stark compared to his brother. You know what popped into my head? Hmm. Twin, twins, the film. So you've got Schwarzenegger, who's oh, yeah. engineered to be perfect, and then you've got DeVito. Oh, but this De- is real life, Kevin. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, you could think of them that way, because I'm pretty sure the height difference was probably the same. Yeah. <laughs> really kind of ticking off James even further, Letter and Mary is one of the few girlfriends that James ever had, and then proceeds to have eight kids. Oh, what? Mm-hmm. That's just rubbing it in. Yeah, on top, on top of that, Leonard has a great job with General Electric, and by forty-one, James was unemployed and living, still living with his mother. Oh, yeah, it's just gonna, it's just, it's really sad, and then it's gonna get really bad. <laughs> <laughs> on top of it all, so he's living at home. He's forty-one, unemployed. He owes money to his wife and brother. He borrowed large sums of money, and. He pretty much lost whatever money he had in the stock market crash of 73, 74. So he owes his brother and his brother's wife money. He's basically unemployed, living at home. His mother is always abusive. So at this point, his charity, his mother, never name a daughter charity. That just seems like tempting fate, <laughs> is so annoyed and frustrated at the end of a rope because he can't keep a job that she and like he's also drinking constantly. Right. She threatens to evict him. Hi, <laughs> Finn. Yeah. <laughs> it's just getting comfy. Sorry, dude. Okay. Sorry. So she threatens to evict him. She th- yeah. So think about, like, if your life already sucks this much, and he kind of had accepted it, and if you've watched enough Criminal Minds, you can see there's kind of a trigger happening when your mom threatens to evict you. Yeah. On top of all of this, he was having psychiatric issues. He had pad treatment. He the real key thing is he believed the FBI and the police were sabotaging his career, preventing him from keeping his job and affecting his personal life. So there's some paranoia happening Mm -hmm. on top of it. He believes he's being followed by really any kind of law enforcement. That's quite a common trait for some criminals, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And then really this threat of eviction on top of. So you have this miserable, miserable life. Like you don't have a job. You have a drinking problem. You're having psychiatric issues. You're in debt. You can't like. And then your mom's like, you're going to be kicked out. This is his trigger. It's like a giant trigger to him. So on March 29th, which is James's birthday, people see him shooting cans with, and I'm not good at guns, 
uh, 3.35.7 magnum along the banks of the Great Miami River in Hamilton, Ohio. So that's 357 magnum. You know Dirty Harry? Yes. You know his big bloody gun? That gun. That's a three fifty seven Magnum. Okay. The most powerful handgun in the world. Or it was at the time, anyway. So yeah, it's it's a beast of a gun. Okay. Yeah, I determined I I'm the kind of person you don't want having a gun. I'm klutzy. <laughs> you do not want to give me a gun. So I don't learn no. about guns. Even though like I have like I know plenty of people who've offered to like take me shooting and I'm just like there's one person I think I I told them if they wanted to teach me because he taught the at the Cleveland Police Academy, I said, you can teach me just for my like knowledge base, but yeah. I don't want to own one because that seems like tempting fate. I've already cut off a fingertip. It like we're just gonna Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Hamilton County Hamilton is between Cincinnati and Dayton, probably kinda almost directly in between them from Hamilton. Cause it was right by Miami University where I went. So Hamilton is probably an hour away from Cincinnati. And like an hour and a half away from Dayton. So not right, okay. too far. Close to Indiana. So on top of that, James, you know, because it's his birthday, he went out and he hung out at the 19th Hole Cocktail Lounge. He talked to the employee, uh, Wanda Bishop, and later she remembered, like, recalled to police and reporters that he James seemed really depressed and was, like, talking about all his mother's demands on him and like the threat of eviction he told her quote he needed to solve the problem end quote you know rate not warning the red flags are clearly not up in anyone's minds (laughs) like so he leaves at 11 and returns later and they go well did you solve your problem like you know thinking maybe he got a job maybe he found somewhere else to live maybe something else happened and he replied no not yet that's just so creepy. Also, it's, he left at 11 p.m. at night and, like, returned. So it's just like, where did you go at that time of night? Yeah. I mean, how well did they know him? I'm guessing they could have known him pretty well, like, if he ca- like he seemed like he was kind of a regular there. So if they remembered him that much. Yeah. But Hamilton's not at this point. It's It's kind of a smaller town. There are some factories around there, but, like, closer to what it, where i-75 is now so i mean there's some factory work but it's still i would say it's a smaller town like town or city right he then stays at the bar until close which is 2 30 a.m and returns to like the two-story two-tone frame structure on the quiet residential street so he goes home and the crime's going to be happening easter sunday 1975 right because, you know, holidays. Yeah, they sell a lot of people off, though, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Especially Easter. All that chocolate. Can drive a person. <laughs> I feel like his mom's not giving him chocolate anymore. She's just like, leave. Probably not. Leave. Ultimate them, yes, but not chocolate. So, Charity had gathered the entire family to her house. So, she has the two sons. So, we have James and Leonard. Leonard's entire family, including his wife, Alma, their eight children who at this point range from 4 to 17. I don't like the way this is going. You're not going to, like, get a comfort drink. You're going to need a comfort drink of some (laughs) sort. (laughs) Tea, pop, alcohol. So Yeah, I've actually just remembered this guy. Yep. Um, Yeah. (sighs) So, you know, 
They're doing an Easter egg hunt. So, you know, they're looking for the eggs all over the yard. They go into the front house for, like, you know, family time and dinner, mingling in the living room and kitchen, except for James, who is uh, on the second floor of his house uh, in his room making preparations, which is really creepy to think about that everybody like no one really noticed everyone's downstairs so charity is making sandwiches in the kitchen leonard and alma are sitting like setting up the kitchen table and the youngest child was in the bathroom one of their daughters is sitting outside waiting for a turn because you know there's eight children a lot of children (laughs) all the other kids are playing in the living room james comes down the stairs and carrying three revolvers the 357 magnum and two uh twin 22 caliber handgun and an 18 shot rifle what the hell yeah there's a lot of guns just to bring down stairs on easter i don't know how most people's easters are mine normally don't involve guns no i mean i know the holidays can be tense but that's stretching it somewhat the only time our holidays involved guns was because someone had to go to work in the police force so he had his gun on him <laughs> That seems reasonable. Yeah. And so he props the rifle against the refrigerator door. He fires first at his brother, Leonard, which shows his intention, really. He's like, screw you first. Mm -hmm. Then shooting Alma and his mother. And his mom actually tried to save the kids and, like, the rest of the family by lunging towards him to, like, disarm him. Yeah. Pretty much he fires 31 shots, only stopping to reload. So he kills Carol, 13, and 12, Leonard, the third, 17, Michael, 16, Thomas, 15, John, 4, in less than five minutes. Fuck. So he kills everyone. He goes up into the bathroom, cleans up, changes his clothes. About three hours later, he calls the police and he goes, uh, there's bodies in my house. Okay. And it was, he meets the police at the front door and they like, basically he admitted to what he did. Yeah. And they take him into custody peacefully. Like, that's the craziest thing. Like, he literally just raged out on his family, including yeah. the kids, which is the saddest part because they're innocent in all of this. Um, pretty much every all the police. Hamilton now is very different than I think Hamilton was then. But they do now they have a larger police force. But I don't know if they did at the time. The police came in and they said it stuck with them. Anyone who walked into that house and saw it was like scarred for life. Yeah. So 10 people, so eight children, two adults, were shot in the head execution style. James's sister-in-law was actually shot in the chest. And as prosecutor John Holcomb said, quote, When I walked through the front door, that front door, right in the middle of all that carnage, I saw a little four-year-old boy with blue bib corduroy overalls on, a long-sleeved blue cotton shirt, and lying on the floor at the foot of the couch stretched out with a bullet hole in his head. In his outstretched hand, he had a partially open he had partially opened the tin foil wrapper off a chocolate Easter egg. End quote. So it's like so messed up. Yeah. It's uh that's that's um that little detail about the partially opened Easter egg, it's seeing something so sort of banal mm. being cut off for such a horrendous reason. It's uh it's it's kind of hard to explain. Yeah, especially because... They're just going by their day-to-day. They were having fun. They are having a nice day, and then wallop. Especially, that's it, done. Yeah, especially for the kids, because they had no part of this. No. 
He's four no. years old. He doesn't know that's happening. He doesn't know the trivias of a like being an adult. Five of the bodies were in the living room, six in the kitchen. And really the only sign that there was a struggle in the entire house was an overturned trash can. That's it. They, Ugh. I know. They have no motive for this. So they had they had taken James Rupert into custody. He gets charged with 11 counts of aggravated murder. He does not talk to the police about the killings. And he pleads not guilty by reason of insanity. No. that do- This doesn't really happen around this area, especially at that time. Oh, in the 70s, it would be easier driving to and from the cities. But it brings a lot of attention, especially because you're near Dayton, you're near Cincinnati, and even probably Indianapolis. So it'll bring like those bigger cities in to people want to know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Within that time, street sales of Hamilton's only daily newspaper doubled. And... People like crowd around the the house for six hours after the funeral. F- uh, four hundred cars carrying uh, curiosity seekers, some in cat like in taxis, um, cruised past the Arlington Memorial Gardens where the family was buried. So people gawked at this funeral real hard. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I I don't think that at all. Yeah, I think so, there's a difference between this kind of thing, us hmm. discussing it, recording it, and stuff like that. I wouldn't go and observe no such a horrendous situation i might go like lay flowers somewhere like publicly but i wouldn't go to the actual f- grave sites so that's no. personal for the family a year later their house was unlocked to auction off the possessions you know the furniture appliances clothing odds and ends because there's really no one left of the family and dozens of people coming through looking for like bargains on things and you know souvenirs yeah of the crime and a lot of people went up to Rupert's second floor bedroom as Nancy Baker reported in the local paper quote babies asleep in strollers housewives in curlers men smoking big cigars all added up to the carnival atmosphere end quote so it was it was a day out for people and that seems creepy carnival yeah. So the trial. Spectators began arriving early in the morning, some at 6 a.m. to wait outside to get one of the 60 seats in the courtroom. And you okay. couldn't. And it's on the third floor, too. So you couldn't even like creep in outside and like listen. Yeah. When they did open the doors, people ran for the stairs or the elevators, hoping to get there first. If you couldn't get uh, seats inside, they would just wait outside. To, like, get your way in. People would peek in through the glass doors, trying to get a glimpse of James. And, I mean, really, at this point, you're dealing with people who want to see the spectacle versus people who are, like, neighborhood, like, the community who's so mad at James Rupert. Yeah. A close friend said to the papers, quote, Everybody wanted to go out and shoot Jimmy. I was arguing, always arguing for him, end quote. So, like... He did have a horrible life. Like, he did have a horrible childhood and all that, but that shouldn't mean you shoot your family. No. (laughs) So, in his June 1975 trial, he enters his plea of insanity, and his defense attorney, H.J. Bresler, argued that his act he committed was itself insane. He had been insane for 10 years, and he was really incapable of controlling his actions. Because remember, he had already been dealing with like his paranoia and all of that. He had been to doctors. Um, they have Dr. Howard Skokolov, who described him as James is suffering from 
a paranoid psychotic state. One of the symptoms of this is, quote, departure from reality in terms of thinking and behavior, end quote. He really pushed that James is suggest like he's leading towards excessive suspicion, jealousy, and anger. And, you know, they have other psychiatrists that he was testifying that James is actually obsessed with the belief that his family members, the police, the FBI, were involved in a long-standing conspiracy to persecute him. Which with his childhood, if he did have some mental health issues, I'm not going to say his bad luck and his, like, seemingly inability to live up to his brother might have not encouraged this. And his, like, like how he was kind of tormented wouldn't have helped if he already had tendencies towards that. Yeah. It's always so hard to say with these kind of things, though, because you get other people who've been in exceptionally similar circumstances who then don't go and murder everyone in their family. Yeah, including four-year-old kids. So it it doesn't sound like... He he had mental health issues. I'm not sure if it was insane. He was insane, rather. He phoned the police. The the fact you clean up afterwards and you change your clothes and you call the police, there's something about that that's very premeditated to me. Because uh, the, the, isn't the court definition of insanity is that you you don't know the difference between right and wrong? Is that what yeah. it sort of boils down to? Sounds like he did. <laughs> yeah, they had the defense had another doctor, Doctor Philip Menick, Manhattan, who looked at really Rupert's personality in a whole. Quote: His ability to evaluate is impaired. His views of others is warped. He sees virtually no one in a kindly light. End quote. So it seems like they look at it as he. It's slowly been building up and building up and building up and his perspective of life is very warped. Yeah. They also got Harvard psychiatrist, Dr. Lester Grinspoon, great name, um, who really looked at the event as, quote, his ego was just completely overwhelmed by this rage, the suppressed rage, which had been accumulating over some 10 years or more, actually since childhood, that there was no way he could avoid doing that act. In fact, he could have if there had been more people in the house, they might have been killed also, end quote. So it seems like the defense is trying to say it was a built-up rage and then he just snapped like that. And it yeah. was just... And afterwards, he probably went back to... He's like, oh, this is not good. Let me clean up. Let me call the police and do the right thing. So they're sort of suggesting it's a almost a crime of passion in a way. Mm-hmm. But the passion is through anger rather than lust. Like love related. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So the prosecution is going that it was premeditated. There was a reason behind it. They're saying that James plotted and schemed to kill his entire family to collect more than $300,000 of life insurance, real estate savings, other investments owned by his mother and brother. As the attorney. The prosecutor, John Holcomb, convincingly argued um, because of his rest and indictment were actually part of his master plan, quote, to enter a plea of not guilty by reason of temporary insanity to be sent to uh, Lima State Mental Hospital, where he would eventually be declared sane and then walk out $300,000 in his pocket, end quote. So, I mean, that's kind of feasible. Uh, it is feasible. It's definitely feasible. It doesn't sound like something he'd be capable of doing. Yeah. Though, unless I'm underestimating him as well. I mean, that's the, yeah. It, like, we all could be underestimating him. Though, apparently, Lima, the mental hospital, wasn't 
the best, you know, of 1970s mental health care. <laughs> it's not mm. great. And Lima's north of Dayton a bit. I've never been there. That's the fictional town that Glee's based in. If anyone's seen Glee. I'm aware of there's a program called Glee. That's where they placed it. Right. What do you think? Do you think he was that premeditated? I think he was slightly premeditated. With the insurance part, I mean. Oh, God, no. No. Do you think he would have even known? I don't think he would have known about the... I don't think he would have known it added up to that amount. Mm. I don't think... I Maybe for a little bit of money or maybe just to... He thought maybe he would get the house mm. or something like that. I don't I don't think he was he doesn't seem like he knew there was that much money. Mm. That's my sense. Maybe he thought he would get the house and it was just convenient cuz he had so much rage against his brother that that just seemed like I'm just going to take out this source of my torment for years. Yeah. It sounds more just that kind of thing rather than the cash. Yeah. Because under Ohio law, Rupert could not have inherited his victim's state if estate if he was de- found guilty by murder. So if he was found guilty, he doesn't get anything. Mm. I don't know where the money goes then, but he would not get it. If he was uh, declared innocent by reason of a san- insanity, he would have gotten everything. And it's a, pr- I mean, three hundred thousand dollars in the seventies—that's pretty nice size. Yeah, that's a fair chunk of change. Even now, that's a fair fucking chunk of change. You could buy it. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy with it. You could buy a decent house, especially in Hamilton. I'm actually. <laughs> I think in Hamilton right now, you could buy a pretty decent house with that money. Is that a slight dig at Hamilton? Uh, no. I like Hamilton. It's fine enough. Driven through it. There's some nice things there. Right. Okay. So I'll just quickly, <laughs> in my head, uh-huh. uh, by head, I mean Google. So $300,000 in 1975 is just under $1.5 million in today's money. I mean, that's a pretty standard amount to kill someone for, I feel like, if you've watched enough true crime shows. Yeah, well, you get folk killing for a tenner. But yeah, I get what you mean. $1.5 million. I would, I wouldn't kill for... No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> but would you? No. <laughs> Press pause. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Um, NSA guy listening. We would totally not do that. No, no. Finn would be mad. They had a member of the real estate and probate committees of the American Bar Association testify that if he was the sole heir for both of them. So if he was the sole inheritor, which it seemed like he was, of his brother's life insurance, his mother's estate, half of the property of his brother's children, which the oldest one was 17. So it's like, what, 20 bucks? Hmm. Uh, the house was valued at forty thousand dollars, and the property, other property, was assessed at uh, about twenty thousand dollars. And his mother's home was worth about fourteen thousand dollars. I love that they parceled it all out. They were like, "Yeah, uh, uh, Leonard's life insurance at GE was sixty-two thousand, so in the seventies, pr- good chunk of change." Yeah. On top of his uh personal life insurance. Of a hundred thousand dollars on top of investing Leonard's investing savings, stocks, mutual funds, and money in the savings account, another thirty thousand dollars. So Leonard was doing good in life before this. Yes. He was. And we know James could have used this money. He's been out of work for a while. He doesn't really have money. Remember the stock market crash wiped him out. And mm. he's really in debt to his mother and his brother. So 
you know, and he's about to be evicted from his rent-free room. So, I I mean, that's a trigger, if anything. But so you Yeah. Have... Sorry, I was just looking up how much things were worth there. <laughs> a lot. It's a it's it's a decent like Leonard was doing good. Like and if he was living now, he'd be doing real nice. Yeah, he did have eight kids still. That's true. And I don't think they're cheap. No, but thirty thousand dollars in savings with eight kids in the seventies, that's you're doing okay. College will wipe you out real bad, but <laughs> you that's know true. you have them from seventeen to four, so you got some time. And college in the seventies wasn't super expensive. It's not now. So you have the two motives. So you have economic motive, insanity, and they go keep going back and forth, back and forth. Um, especially because the real thing is Dr. Charles Fuse Jr. told the court when he was testifying he did not believe that these slayings were carried out in a quote robot-like manner, like he was in a rage, and he just kind of snapped. Because if he was doing rage, why did he go after the sister-in-law and children? Because they had never been part of this conspiracy against him. It this really goes along with the coroner who said the slayings were pretty much execution styles, but the first trial is declared mistrial and they move it. 125 miles north to Finley, Ohio, because they were like, yeah, he's not going to get a fair trial in his hometown. Like, there's mm-hmm. evidence of that. Like, people wanting to go lynch him up. it's Or, like, kill him themselves. So you have the second trial in June 1975. So you have both sides. But then they have the new evidence of James' target shooting and statements about solving his problem. In July, he gets a new sentence of 11 consecutive life sentences in prison. He appeals, gets a new trial in 1982. So you have the, they do the same kind of deal of insanity versus monetary. In July 23rd, a, they had another three judge panel to kind of figure this out. They decided to go away from juries. They found him guilty on two ca- two counts of first degree murder, murder, his mother and brother. But they determined the other nine were reasons of insanity, kind of like he snapped once he finally like killed them that he just mm-hmm. kept going he was <sighs> yeah mm. uh, yeah that's uh, an odd judgment yeah if you think about it, though it's like his third third fourth appeal on his actual sentence too he received mm. one life sentence for each guilty count to be served consecutively so one after another that's unusual not really in the u.s is it not no we're fans of uh making you serve them one after another so you really can't get out so we increase that jail population (laughs) because during that time the u.s had suspended the death penalty he could not be sentenced to death either which ohio has the death penalty so good for him Hmm. and he's still in prison as of right now but before i end this i'm just going to repeat his 11 victims names because i think it's kind of important because there are innocent children involved in this so we have his mother charity his brother leonard jr we have Alma, and then there are eight children. Leonard the Third, Michael, Thomas, Carol, Anne, David, Teresa, and John. Because those kids are completely innocent in this, and it's pretty fucked up. Yeah. Also, the house is still standing and was up for sale recently. That's what I found out in my research. Somebody still lived there? Yeah. I guess they must be, yeah. I guess the the people of Hamilton, like the neighborhood, didn't really tell the new owners what happened there. I thought you had to. I thought it was a law. I don't. I don't know if it was in the seventies. 
Right. I know it's a law that someone has. You have to be told if it's haunted. <laughs> you. I always. I. I thought it was. It was like a full disclosure thing. Like you had to tell people, like someone was murdered here, someone else was murdered here, someone else. Yeah, eleven people were murdered here. Yeah, I'd live there. It's. A, I mean, it's not a bad looking house. Mm. I mean, the the fact that folk were murdered there would put me off. They. Th- people have said um, that it is haunted as well. If any place is going to be haunted, it's a place like that. Yeah. If such things existed. California. Oh, it most require sellers, real estate agents, to make disclosures about. The properties are sale. Some states, including California, have recognized that certain intangible factors, such as violent death, could uh, affect the saleability and like value of the house. So they have to disclose that. California says it has to be within last three years. Wow. So if you think about it, he was guilty. So all that, all the benefits wouldn't go to him. But the trials took a while, so, you know, it might have not been three years. I don't know. Probably don't close know. to it from the time, I guess. It been been held in, what's the word, probate or something? Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have been out of sale by the time. But yeah, folk would know about the case and stuff. Yeah. But if they're selling it now, then they don't have to say, by the way, eight kids and three adults were murdered here just a few decades ago. Yeah. It's, it wouldn't put me off, but I'd like to know. Yeah, we'll see. The same way that I would like to know, you know... Is it got good insulation? <laughs> is it got the good insulation? Thing. Does it have good buses? <laughs> is it near to a school? Were people murdered here? You know, the standard questions when you're buying a house. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so what do you think about his... Uh, I'm going to keep looking this up, but see for specifically mm. Ohio. What do you think about his uh, actual conviction that he has 11 life sentences? Cause... Has he got 11, though? Did uh, Did it change to... They did 11 two. for each one. But he got found guilty of murder for two. And then so it's did, like, it, did the appeal go to it was insanity for the rest? Yeah, but I think they determined that um, for each conviction, he'd get a life, which is a minimum of 30 years. So let's say Look we're going to go with the 30 years. So that's so 60 anyway. Yeah. It's a lot of math. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you get. Um, say you get a minimum of 30 years. As far as I'm aware, good behavior, it might depend on the term. So 330 years. can be... Fucking hell. So even if he gets half of that for good behavior, mm-hmm. he's probably not getting out. No, he's not getting out. <laughs> Alive. Um, I think... I don't think he was insane. Uh, no, I don't think he was. It sounds a little... Too convenient? Yeah, it... <laughs> There might not have been a huge amount of premeditation. I mean, target shooting, it's folk target shoot all the time. Yeah. Saying you're going to deal with a problem, I could have been drunk talk. It's circumstantial at best, I would say. I would imagine he's probably played it in his head a great deal. And then one day he saw how happy everybody was. I'm not actually surprised that he killed the kids and everything because they're just an extension of what his brother had. Yeah. So he had that. He doesn't want him to have that. So he didn't stop just the, his brother. He wanted them all gone because that was the thing that he could never have. Yeah. Also, Ohio does not force you to re- uh, disclose if there was a murder or suicide in the property or oh, if it's believed okay. to be haunted. Right. <laughs> Good to know, maybe, Ohio. Maybe it goes state to state. I don't know. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd, no. I think mental health issues, I'd say so. Like the paranoia and things. 
But I think he knew what he was doing when he killed them. Yeah. I'm pretty certain he knew what he was doing. He, he, he was, his faculties were clear. He I, might have been the clearest he'd been in a very long time in his head, I think. Yeah, I think going with first degree for his mom and his brother especially yeah. seems true. And I think at that point he was just like, well, going to keep going. Because it's like you said, in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, this is this is every like his kids were the extension of his brother, his wife. I mean, he had to have some rage towards his brother's wife. He dated her, like it's. it's yeah, you'd you'd like to think that his brother didn't do that on purpose. That he actually did dig mm-hmm. the the lassie, but yeah, I just think. See what popped into my head actually when you said that. He murdered them all, then he cleaned up, and then he phoned the police. It reminded me of Ed Kemper. Yeah. When Kemper finally killed his mum, he, he killed the horrible phrase to use for this. He cut the head off the snake, as it were, and then, you know, fucked it. But um, then he was done. It was like his, the symbol of his, or the reason for his rage, he'd finally taken care of. If only he'd done that in the first place. Well, okay, he shouldn't have killed anybody. But once he'd done that, he was done. Yeah. He was spent. So that's another reason why I think it wasn't insanity either. Because he, he, he was so calm about it afterwards. He was just like, okay, take yep, me to jail. Now. Things are better. Yeah. I mean, it's so, really hard to get evicted from prison when you have... Evicted a, from prison. When you have a, when you have 330 oh, years... sorry, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so there's, a, there's <laughs> yeah, really no he's other... He's got somewhere to live. He's got a roof over his head. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite an alternative. But yeah, no, I think it's just a, a bad, bad man. Yeah. And we'll be back next week with Kevin if you want to plug your shows so they can go catch up with you while they're waiting for next week's episode. Yes, please. Uh, so it's Mirths and Monsters, which is the family one, and Infernal Souls and Eternal Arseholes, which you can probably gather is not the family one, and you can find them. Um, my Acast is my hosting site, but you can find them and listen to them anywhere. Thank you. And we'll see you guys next week with Kevin's Tale of History. Mm. Bye. Looking forward to that. Bye-bye. Well, hello, my friends. This is CK from the Mirths and Monsters podcast. Join me, my companion Finn, and my occasionally satanically possessed cat Ray Puny mortals. as we investigate the real truths behind some of the most wonderful creatures you can imagine. Are trolls really that thick? Or is it just bad press? Are leprechauns really drunken bums? Uh. Sort of. But there's a lot more to find out. All you need to do is tune in to Mirths and Monsters podcast with me and Finn. Till next time, slancha your good health. Did they botch the investigation of a serial killer because of prejudice inside the fort? And catching images of what they believe are ghosts. The victims there vulnerable women and many indigenous. The world is a lot. It really is. That's why we started our podcast, Six Sad World. I am Jasmine, and this is my co-host Mari, and we host a bi-weekly podcast on all things macabre. We cover anything from serial killers, to cults, to alien conspiracies, to ghost stories, and so much more. We are childhood friends, and we're both passionate about social justice. We'll discuss how these things intersect with racism, sexism, ableism, and queermisia. 
We both have unique perspectives coming from marginalized identities. Me as a black cis woman and Mari as a disabled trans person. We offer the kinds of conversations we felt were missing in true crime and horror. And we're hoping you'll join the conversation too. So check out Six Sad World. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find your podcasts. Of domesticity, we're available on all podcatchers. Remember to rate, review, subscribe to help spread the word, or just force other people to listen to it. Our Facebook and Twitter are at Domestic Podcasts, and our Instagram is at the Cult of Domesticity. We also have podcast merch at Threadless. Uh, as well, if you want to support us financially or show some appreciation, we have a PayPal tip jar and a Patreon, which has some pretty great perks. Any topic suggestions, feel free to email us at domesticpodcasts at gmail.com. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free.